0: Listening to something, talking to someone, getting feedback, like we never give our brain this, what I think is the most magical space for the brain, which is to daydream and to just think on its own. And as a creative filmmaker, I'm always trying to think of the best environment to let my mind think.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Artists of Data Science podcast the only self-development podcast for data scientists. You're going to learn from and be inspired by the people, ideas, and conversations that will encourage creativity and innovation in yourself so that you can do the same for others. I also host open office hours. You can register to attend by going to bit.ly.com forward slash a d s o. I look forward to seeing you all there. Let's ride this beat out into another awesome episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a five-star review. Our guest today is an Emmy-nominated filmmaker, speaker, and founder of the Webby Awards. She's described as an internet pioneer and has lectured worldwide on the relationship between technology and humanity. She's received over 80 awards and distinctions for her films and work, including selection for the Albert Einstein Foundation's initiative, Genius 100, Visions for the Future, and she's also been included on NPR's list of best commencement speakers. So please help me in welcoming our guest today, a woman recognized by Newsweek as one of the women shaping the 21st century, Tiffany Schlein. Tiffany,
0: Hi. thank you so <laughs> much for taking I'm time. blushing, I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's my absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for taking time. I just scheduled to come on. I remember reaching out to you on LinkedIn, I was like, oh my God, your book is everything. And mm-hmm. like I literally meant that it's, it nicely summarizes and encapsulates everything that I've been really interested in over the last two years and a lot of the concepts that have helped shape my current belief system and worldview. So in that sense, your book covers everything that I'm into and I can't wait to uh, to dig into it and talk more about it. You know, one thing that I've noticed in every single one of your pictures is this really distinctive style that you've got, you know, you've always (laughs) rocking this awesome hat and this beautiful bright red lipstick. And I thought that it was cool that you talked about this origin story in your book. I think that's a cool story that I think the audience will enjoy hearing. Would you mind sharing that with us?
0: Sure. I um, First of all, it's great to be on your show. I loved the name of your podcast. I think it's so smart because I think artists are everywhere and it's just a way to approach life. And so the story of my hat and lipstick. So those of you that are just listening, I have blonde hair and blue eyes and I always feel like that look is thought of in a certain way. And whenever I've always worn a hat, <laughs> I'm wearing one right now. And it really started with my grandfather, who was this very colorful and influential person in my life. And he always wore a hat. And when he passed away, I was given his hat. And I put it on whenever I feel like showtime. (laughs) And I like the gender norm um, breaking in that as well, because I often wear a fedora. And then my red lipstick, which I always wear, was I have very big lips. And when I was younger, I used to be teased for them. And my grandmother on my other side was like, you got to put Chanel red lipstick on and people will pay attention to what you're saying. And I think I'd never took it off. So I've been wearing red lipstick and the hat most of my life. And I really like, even when we did this interview, I didn't think it was going to be audio uh, video. So I was like, Oh, I'm not going to, and then it was audio. I'm like, okay, I got to put my lipstick on or else I don't even <laughs> that's very funny.
1: Yeah. No, I absolutely love that story. I thought it was such a cool origin story. And yeah I'd love to just kind of get into your book and we'll, we'll start off I guess first with this the concept of the Shabbat, which I guess is another cultural tradition that was also handed to you from your grandparents so just at a high level, what is the Shabbat and yeah. can you give us like a brief history of this tradition?
0: yeah, so Shabbat is actually the fourth commandment if you are a religious person, which I am not, which was very exciting for me to kind of discover it from a non-religious lens but really, you know, it's the fourth commandment, take a complete day of rest. And Jews follow this, Christians follow this. But really today in the 21st century, only if you're really extremely religious, do you follow it to a T and take a full day of rest. And I'm a cultural Jew, which, you know, what Shabbat has turned into, at least in America, for most of the Jews I know, is a nice Friday night dinner occasionally, and you light candles and you say a blessing. But It's really been reduced to that. And I say reduced, it's an incredible, beautiful meal. But the rest part, I think, went away. And I think in modern society, rest has really gone away in a bigger level. So for my family, 11 years ago, we just had our 11-year anniversary, we turn off all screens from Friday night to Saturday night for what we call our Tech Shabbat. And it means no screens for a day. And it's been so transformative. And I love technology. I you know, founded the Webbys. My husband teaches robotics. We're very into it, but not all the time. And I felt like our world was just being overtaken with screens and distracted by screens. And I just never felt like there was a moment where the screens were not interrupting me, really, and interrupting whatever I was doing. And so it's been very transformative, and I, I have a my husband and I have a, a almost eighteen year old and almost twelve year old daughter, and it's just simply been the best parenting thing I've ever done. But really, just personally, it's just been the benefits just continue to multiply.
1: Yeah, and I'm definitely really excited to get into the benefits of this, which you know your book goes into great detail. You guys got to pick <laughs> it up twenty four six. It's a really, <laughs> a really good book. I can see here I've got my
0: tags. And oh, I love seeing the, the tag, the book tags.
1: It's interesting because I guess the ancients would have a lot to say about this effect of this taking a break and taking a day of rest and what this does to our creativity. So what did the ancients have to say about this this effect of the Shabbat?
0: It's really interesting because the deeper I went on reading about just the concept of rest and silence and presence is, first of all, every wisdom practice from every culture has some wisdom teaching about the importance to still and quiet the noise. And because I mean, what I now understand, it's only when you quiet all the input that you really hear what you're thinking. You really tap into some larger connection when you can quiet the noise. And right now our lives are very noisy through the screens. And I mean, the texts and the bings and the bongs. But I think that the wisdom around the day of rest is that you need to separate work and rest. And the interesting thing about technology is that it blurred every boundary. You could work from the beach, you could work from your bedroom, you could work from anywhere, which of course, you know, has had its benefits. But I think a lot of people are understanding, you know, it's not good to work from the beach. And maybe your bedroom, you should really be sleeping and not be checking your phone for work emails when you're just about to go to bed. And and especially with the pandemic, it's just blurred every boundary that, what I think is that some boundaries are good and really it, in some ways the way that I'm living my life, the reason I called the book 246 is because for six days I'm on, I'm available, I'm, I am love being connected to the world, I'm working I'm this and that. And one day I'm not. And one day I, I have this beautiful boundary that says this day is not about the whole world. It's not about everyone being able to get in touch with me. It's not about me being able to get access to everything. It's really about being present where I am. And it's it's really, ultimately, a time management strategy. It's kind of saying, I'm going to put most of my joy into one day, my kind of rest joy, and things that bring me pleasure onto this one day. And, and I save things for my tech Shabbat, which is what I call it. And I don't work that day. And not only that, but I think differently on that day. And ironically, I have my best creative ideas on my day off of technology, which, so in some ways, it applies to work. But I feel like I feel so reset with one day off, recharge, reset, rejuvenated. I laugh more, I sleep better. And it just ripples out through the whole week. So, so many benefits. That's why eventually after like eight years of doing it, I'm like, I got to write a book about this. I mean, it's this free ancient technology. And, you know, in America, I remember when meditation and, and yoga really became this big craze. And it was, you know, from another culture, ancient wisdom that we were kind of Bringing into modern society, and I feel that way with Shabbat. Like, here's this ancient wisdom, and everyone can really benefit from it. And it's not; it's just a brilliant idea. It's a brilliant way to live.
1: I absolutely love that taking ancient concept, bringing it into the modern day. And you go into great detail in your book about how you and your family celebrate the tech Shabbat—that one day off where everything's completely Mm -hmm. screen-free. And I absolutely Mm enjoyed that. And We'll definitely be using it as a framework for my family. You know, we've got a 10 month old son now. And Hello. as Congratulations. he grows, uh, thank you. Yeah, he's he's got a personality for sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I can I definitely want to start baking some of that into to our family and to our tradition. So you wrote this book well before the pandemic, mm-hmm. before we were all living virtually. And what would you say are like two of the biggest pushbacks you've gotten from people about taking a tech, shabbat taking that one day off completely disconnected and how do you respond to that
0: yeah i mean it depends yeah before the pandemic there was a lot of people like well what if people need to reach me and i mean it's interesting we do have a landline if people really need to reach us but the truth is in 11 years like how many times has that phone really rung because it was an emergency like none i think we think that we couldn't live we did live without a cell phone and we were just fine and there's other ways to communicate but, you know, during the pandemic, I get that a lot of people have been really lonely. And one of the things you definitely don't have to, I don't do tech shabbat by myself. I mean, I do it with my family. And a lot of people that have read the book, they do it with their friends. They're like, hey, let's go on a tech-free walk, you know. Or some people say, well, my community connection is online on a Zoom. And I will still say, you know, do your family dinner with the people that don't live you near you on zoom as the last thing you do before you turn off the screens and the first thing you do when you go back online, but there's so much value in just being a little more inward and not using every second to entertain your brain or distract yourself or numb yourself or stress yourself out from the news that I think the problem is it's become such a habit to just flip our phone, turn on a screen and just really let something else direct all of your thoughts. And It's really good to be comfortable with being with yourself and knowing what it's like to just be present for what you're experiencing, not have FOMO, not wish you were with other people at other places. Or, you know, really just kind of think about your own home, the things to be grateful for, the things to appreciate that are right in front of you, because all of these devices are designed to make you and not want to take your face away from the screen and to want to click more and want the next email and want the next notification. I mean, it's thousands of data scientists actually who their job was like, how do we keep them on longer? And I think there's a lot of amazing data scientists that are not focused on that, but there are some very da- talented data scientists who were hired by the tech companies to figure that out and they did. And how can you fight against that kind of design that is luring you in to keep you? So I think it takes great courage and to do this practice, but then it becomes like the best thing in your life and the best day of your life. And the thing I look the most forward to is my Saturdays. So I think it's really interesting on how, it's a a positioning really of how do you wanna spend your time and yes, we're all connected in the world all the time, but can you create space where you're not for one day and get into that again with your family? I mean, really you have a 10 month old child We started this when our second child was just born. And it's like you said, baked right into the day and it's family day. And it's not a day about other people and other, you know, it's really a day for us to be with each other.
1: Yeah. And I I love how you frame rest as a technology in the book. I really, really enjoy that. And one of the big reasons I absolutely wanted to get you on the podcast was just for that, because there are a good chunk of my audience are the data scientists that are working on these algorithms to keep us hooked to these devices and these screens. And I think it's important for them to, to hear the message in your book and, and hear about some of the science behind why it's good for us to, to disconnect. So I guess, why is it that having this day of rest allows the human mind to do this big picture thinking that allows us to drive our culture and our civilization forward?
0: Well, I think that when you're constantly being interrupted with the immediate requests of people and news and bosses and things, you're only able to think a certain distance. I often, my favorite kind of thinking, one of the reasons why I miss traveling is I love looking out airplanes and I love that look of just like the clouds and the distance and I often think that I do some of my best thinking from a plane. And I feel that same way on my Saturdays. Like I have the space to think bigger and I do my big picture thinking and I have the space to think big and to think long and have the perspective that I don't really feel like I get during the week, which is always, you know, as a working mom, responsive and a working filmmaker, just, I just feel like I'm just responding to a lot and I don't have a lot of time to reflect.
1: And one thing I thought was interesting you talked about in the book is how like the standardization of, of time has changed the way that we rest. So th- talk to us about this concept of standardization of time, because there's like there's a time when there was no time and there's yeah. a time when there was time.
0: Yeah. Time is really interesting because, the, you know, before there was when standardized time kind of sunk everyone up. But then computers made it so like people can work around the clock in different parts of the world, which is really interesting and cool. Actually, like I work with people in different time zones, and they can have like so much work done before I even get online, and that's the beauty of the internet. But the problem is like even with email, like people are sending emails all the time, and and texts, and texts just interrupt whatever you're doing. Like I bet you half the texts that people send, if they really thought, is what I'm about to send worth interrupting that person's like flow of what they're thinking about for like 15 or 20 minutes, because that's what it does to get back into flow. And I think we've created so many technologies that are about interruption and they don't allow you to have like a fluid thought. And if you think about like Einstein, they say that, you know, he came up with this theory of relativity when he was just taking a stroll down the sand and he had time to daydream He had time to think. And it wasn't like listening to a podcast. And like every second we're so optimized, you know, listening to something, talking to someone, getting feedback. Like we never give our brain this, what I think is the most magical space for the brain, which is to daydream and to just think on its own. And as a creative filmmaker, I'm always trying to think of the best environment to let my mind think. And certainly the technologies. I feel very inspired and creative online a lot of the time, but I really crave time to just think.
1: Yeah, I'm guilty of that too. Even when I go on my walks, like I, I There's walk, no like,
0: podcasts. Right? Yeah, it's
1: like podcast or audiobook, and at double speed at that because I gotta get through <laughs> it. Right?
0: Okay, let me do something that's gonna try to undo that because I used to get in the shower and turn on the news, NPR, like what's happening in the world, and now I'm like, okay. Or doing the dishes, but I really try now and taking a walk, not all the time, but some of the time I just go, okay, let your brain get into its most magical state. Cause it's, it's actually, there's a neuroscience term, which is the default mode network, which is all about letting your mind kind of wander and make unusual connections. And that's where creativity comes from is unusual links. So when you're taking a shower, doing the dishes, going for a walk, that's mostly when that kind of thinking happens because your mind is going back in time, forward in time, thinking of a conversation you had, It's just like it's playing, it's doing time travel and it's making all these great new connections. But the problem is the way we're living now is, yeah, we're on listening to an audio book on double speed. We're listening to a podcast. We're taking calls. We're listening to the news in the shower. We're multitasking every second. And so we're never letting our mind get into its magic state. So I think about that now. So I would say about half of the time I'm able to go, I'm just gonna go for a walk. I'm not gonna call anyone, I'm not gonna listen to anything, and I'm gonna let my mind play. And if we look at our mind, like we're the curators of our mind. So there's so many amazing podcasts. My 17-year-old daughter says, I believe in surround learning. I mean, she's always learning. Podcasts, documentary on YouTube. You know, she's so excited by the access to knowledge, which I love, but I still try to say to her and on our bot, just let it go. Because you have to digest and process everything you've learned. Because you just have input, input, input. There's none of that time to process.
1: Yeah, it's something interesting about how when you just let your mind idle, you have these collisions of thoughts and you're able to come up That's with... Right. That's right. That's right. So it's default mode network. How is con- being constantly connected to screens interfering with that process?
0: Yeah, it doesn't let you get into that process. I mean, it really doesn't. I, I feel like I only really get into that process on my Saturdays or when I'm taking a walk or the shower. You, you have to make space. They actually say, now that I'm 50, when I'm thinking about all this for your brain, it's actually good for new cells to generate in your brain to have like two hours of silence a day. I don't get that. But I do think about, you know, you are the curator and protector of your brain and what are you letting in are you following people that inspire you are you listening to things that grow your brain grow your empathy grow your courage or is it making you feel bad afterwards or stressed afterwards and life has enough stresses like what are you then bathing your brain in and you know there's certainly so much great content out there I mean that's when I look at my daughter, I go, well, she's learning so much and her brain is like expanding, expanding. But I know for me, I value that, that time that lets it process it all.
1: And so, I mean, I'm a hundred percent for that. Like I love giving my mind a break and just just kind of getting into that default mode network. Um, I did a podcast interview with Alex Pang who wrote the book rest. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that book.
0: No, but it sounds like a book I need to read.
1: I think you'll really, really enjoy that book. It gels really well with a lot of the stuff you're talking about in 24 six. So he, yeah, he's talking about just the need for rest of building in these moments of just, they call it like active leisure where mm-hmm. you're just not doing anything. Maybe just walking around and, like I was going through some severe burnout issues like a month ago Mm. and I just spent like one afternoon where I just didn't do anything but I just cleaned the house Mm -hmm. no music no podcast Mm -hmm. no nothing wife and baby were at her mom's house and I just cleaned the house and it's just the most relaxing thing ever Mm. and like I like kept getting ideas. Like I kept having to run to my notebook and write stuff down and and do things like that. And I found that very fascinating.
0: I love, I mean, on my textbook, I do write down ideas on a notepad and I like knowing that I can put it somewhere so I don't have to like record it any other way. But like going back to Rust, and I do have a whole chapter that reframes the idea of rest as a technology. And if you think about technology, the promise of technology is it makes things faster and more efficient and better. And if you think of any tech ad, that's what it's saying. Get the new laptop, get the new iPhone. It's faster, it's quicker, it's better, it make you more efficient. And if we all look at truly taking a day of rest in that same way, if we truly take a day of rest, we're going to be faster and more efficient the other days and more productive and creative and happier. And that's really the way that I feel is that the day after my Tech Shabbat, I feel so rejuvenated and um, reconnected to myself, to my family. I feel just like a a better person after that one day of rest. So, yeah, rest is my technology.
1: And speaking of notepads and and journaling, you've got a pretty awesome journaling practice. Talk to us about that. (laughs) Oh,
0: my gosh. I'm so glad you said that because I talk about all my journaling in my book, but I am just about to finish a proposal to do my own journal and my own discussion cards based on 24 six because I use all these other ones that are kind of kind of what I want but I figure I want to create exactly what I want but I do do a journal every morning I don't look at my phone I write in my journal what I'm grateful for and what I hope for the day and before I go to bed I also write what happened that day and then on my text robots, I journal for like three hours and I have all these prompts. And so I'm finally designing one journal that will do everything for me. And then I'll make it available to all my readers because a lot of people ask me for more tools for this kind of way of living. So I'm super excited about.
1: I thought I was the only one that had a crazy journaling habit. So I'm going to. Oh, surely... tell me about yours. Okay. Tell me so about yours. There's the six minute journal that <gasps> I use.
0: Wait, wait uh, I've never seen the six minute one.
1: Yeah. It's I not a five minutes. Yeah, I couldn't find the uh, five minute journal on the Canadian Amazon, but they had the six minute journal, and it's amazing. Like the first, almost seventy pages is 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 almost like a book, and it's. I think you'd really enjoy this. Wow, Uh, I'm
0: gonna order it for research. Yeah,
1: that's that's a good book. And then I bought this journal for my wife and I for our fifth anniversary last year, and it's just a one line journal for five years. So you'll have like, you know, five.
0: uh, oh, that's cool!
1: And then I got a journal here where I so I, I do this is like a philosophical reflection journal. Where I'll read like a, a philosophical quote, usually from you know some Stoic philosopher, and then I'll interpret it, digest it, and try to model. Oh it my over god! My you're
0: mind. my kind of human, man. <laughs> we would. <laughs> well, and not the, every, it's funny. Wait, are oh, you were like me?
1: Yeah, I that last one. I got the artist's way journal too. So the, the morning pages for oh for every my morning. God. Um, so yeah and this is how i spend okay
0: wait, wait. i have anyway. to write this down i'm gonna get but well it's interesting because i am literally today finishing my proposal and i cite all these other journals but there's two that i clearly need to order which is the artist's way one yeah. and the six minute journal that's so funny
1: yeah these uh that's how i spend the first hour of my day it's typically just Like writing internally.
0: Well, and that's such a, I mean, that's rare and it's so good. I mean, you have to, again, going back to like, you're the great protector of your brain. And um, I just feel like my morning brain is the most creative brain. It's just the, it's the most fresh brain. And if you let that very supple creative mind get sucked into email, And social media, that's such a waste. It is the waste of your best brain. I mean, everyone listening, some people are like, I'm most creative at night. But I would say the majority of my friends that are writers, their most creative time is in the morning. And just treat that, whatever your time is, treat it like magic hour. Like, what are you going to do to, you know, I look at creativity like an athlete. And that is the most magical time for me to be creative and think and write. So I have all these journals to kind of guide me through that process. So I'm so glad you do too. That's so nice to hear.
1: Yeah. And I also love waking up super early in the morning as well.
0: Well, like, you have a 10 month old. How does that, how does that uh, happen? Yeah.
1: Well, we're, we're lucky. He, this kid loves to sleep. So he sleeps quite a bit and oh, he's already got okay. like 10 teeth. So he's like almost done teething. So it's quite oh. nice, but. Usually I'm up at four, four thirty, but recently over the last six weeks, it's been more like five thirty or six. I've been sleeping a little bit. Like I said, it's going through some burnout issues mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. But a lot of throughout history, I feel like it's been said that waking up early in the morning, there's just a lot of great stuff that happens. And I think it's has to do with you're still in that half-awake, half-sleep mode, and you're able to mm-hmm. tap into kind of that diffuse default mode network in, in the yeah. brain a little bit easier. There's, that's right on. There's the other network you talk about in your book as well, which is, I guess, kind of the opposite of default yeah, the ta- mode.
0: Network. The task positive network.
1: Yeah. yeah. Talk to us about that. and and.
0: Well, that's a really interesting network too. You know, that that's when you're focused on something and you're like, I am directing my brain to edit a movie or to code or make a table or cook this meal, you know, it's a focused task. So it's like the default mode network and then the task positive network. And I think you just need to understand the value. And then there's, you know, (laughs) the, You could be directed by something else like on the internet or by a show where it's really kind of directing the way you're thinking, which listen, in a book, I mean, I love to read and you could say that you're being directed by the writer to think of a story, which is interesting. But I think that a lot of what we're zoning out to is designed to make you just want to click on the next thing again and again. And, you know, that dopamine rush, like when you binge watch you're ultimately setting your dopamine levels so high that you require that level of dopamine so when you turn that game off or screen off it's like the real world could never meet that expectation because you've just been binging on dopamine really
1: how about speaking of getting kind of manipulated by by things in some way how are algorithms manipulating our animal instincts
0: well i think that the desire to want more i mean if you think of the prefrontal cortex in your brain is about planning and control and filtering what you say and thinking twice before you do something but then a lot of the internet is designed for making you want to click on something, making you want to watch something, making you want to buy something, making you feel left out of something, making you compare yourself to something, making yourself, I mean, it's putting you in a perpetual state of wanting what you don't have. Whereas what I find, which is so dramatic every time I turn off the screens on Friday night, is I go from a state of wanting to just being a state of appreciation and being happy where i am and not wanting what i don't have. And so i think that desire to want is very you know that's very animal instinct like i want to eat, i want this, i want to have sex, i want like it's like animal desires, right? And the internet is playing with those desires and so it puts you in just you're just a perpetual animal (laughs) online. And that when I turn off the screen, I'm like, I got off that treadmill. Oh my goodness. I feel like I get my prefrontal cortex back and I kind of recalibrate. Oh, I didn't really want that. It was like driving me into a frenzy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, It's really interesting how they can, like they're designed to pull on those strings to keep us kind of engaged with that, with constantly being engaged with the, the software on this thing and i mean if it wasn't for this wonderful technology that we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing here now right
0: right i mean that's the rub it's so yeah. great yeah
1: and you know we're living in this virtual world and everybody's having virtual meetings we're having a virtual meeting now right it's going to require us this virtual world is requiring us to speak to friends family colleagues through screens like we are right now right and even though we're looking at each other i don't think we're having like eye contact because it's a bit different, right? So oh, talk yeah. to us about the importance of this face-to-face mm-hmm. eye-to-eye contact, uh, especially when you talk about how it how it plays on the the parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah.
0: yeah so well, first of all, you're right. I think one of the reasons why we're getting so much Zoom fatigue and is we're never really making eye contact with people. We're kind of like the camera's in the wrong place from the screen and it's this kind of quasi eye contact for a whole year. And, you know, you have a 10-month-old, so I'm sure you know when your 10-month-old is looking into your eyes, that's what's causing the brain to grow. And we're not getting that. And the parasympathetic nervous system is all the things to, like, tend and befriend, tending, you know, rest and digest and love and comfort and friendship and all of these things that calm down the stress in your body. And we need to do more activities that activate the parasympathetic nervous system. I think everyone that's listening knows when they've kind of been online too long, you start feeling not good and you're like, ah, and there's no end to the internet and there's no closing cues. Like it would love it if you just were on all the time, just hijack your brain and just sucked into the vortex forever. But you have to go, you know what? No, that doesn't feel good all the time. And I probably shouldn't look at it before I go to sleep for a couple of hours. I'll probably sleep better. And when I wake up, I probably shouldn't directly go to that before I've had a thought and that you'll be happier. And my book, I really walk you through my own personal transformation, but I show a lot of science on the why, because it's all there. It's like, you know, even we're going back to training. uh, about rest, you know, the, the research, even around interval training for athletes, like you need to give your body rest. You need to give your mind rest, And we're all living through this incredible experiment, which is, thank God we have the internet during the pandemic. I mean, what would it have been like without it? But we need to also figure out a way to live well with all of this technology. And I believe that's carving out a full day every week, because I know from experience it's made things so much better and, you know, it's only going to accelerate the pandemic accelerated so many ways we're using screens, but What are the analog things that we've all learned during the pandemic that we want more of in our lives? And I think it's really important to check in with how you feel after you're online for a really long time, because your body is telling you everything. I mean, a lot of people that read my book, they're like, kind of like what you said, it was like everything you were already thinking. Because I think on some level, we all know it's not good to be online this much. And so here's a solution that's ancient. It's an ancient idea that's just brought into a modern era. And also here's all the research why it's a good idea to do it and for your kids.
1: Yeah. One thing I've really tried to do to really draw boundaries is just this. in this office, this is the only place where I keep my laptop. Like I won't bring the laptop out of this room. I won't bring my mm. phone out of this mm. room. Actually, this phone, I in the morning, I keep it tucked away in a corner bathroom where I can't get to it and don't mm. even look at it until Smart. probably like 10 a.m. Yeah, just because it becomes... Too much.
0: It's too addictive. I mean, it's too alluring. Like, I now keep my phone. We have two. The bedroom's upstairs, and it's down here. So when I go up at eight thirty, it doesn't come up with me. And it's made such a big difference to just out of sight, out of mind. It's too tempting. Just do one thing, and then that one thing leads to twenty things.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. I, I actually, just going back to talking about that eye contact and how babies want eye contact. When I was reading your book, it was like during that same week. My, my son started doing something really cute. He just like comes straight up to my face and like put his forehead against mine, and just look right into oh. my eyes. And I was like, oh man, I was just reading about that in your book. <laughs> that so I thought it was pretty interesting. Oh, that's great. So, if you, you... know,
0: I, ma- I made a film that I want to send you called Brain Power from okay. Neurons to Networks. It's just a 10 minute film about the birth to five years. You know, it's the most important time for brain growth and everything that's happening there. But I'll, I'll remember to send it to you after we.
1: Yeah, definitely send it to me. I I do love your videos. Your movies are really awesome. There's one in particular that I really enjoyed. It was like The Science of of Character. And that was a really, really good one. I recommend everyone check that out. I'll, I'll leave a link to it. But I guess, what is character?
0: Well, I made a whole suite of films that really looked at the neuroscience and social science of character development. So things like, can you strengthen your sense of empathy, courage, creativity, all of these things we're talking about really. And, you know, at the time I wasn't linking it directly to text about, I was just saying like, if you want to be more courageous, it's like a muscle. You have to practice doing scary things that make you, if it's public speaking just keep doing it and you're going to get better. You actually have to practice being more empathetic. You have to practice being more generous. If You want to be generous there. Keep giving and give a little bit more, even if it's just a dollar, like, These are all muscles. And so I was really interested in this idea that all these attributes of who you are. And I was working off the research of the positive psychologist, Marty Seligman and Eric Peterson, who really reframed psychology to be instead of what's wrong with you, what's right with you and how do you strengthen that. But now that I really started, the longer I was doing texture art, really understanding that you also have to create space in your life to work on things. It's very hard to make time every day, but I almost feel like my tech shabbat these days to work on all the things that I want to strengthen in myself, like patience, appreciation, and all those things I have more time to do when the screens aren't there.
1: I like that idea of a you know, character being a muscle. Um, one other journal I didn't show you is my idea journal. Somebody I, so I interviewed James Altucher on my show recently, and he has this practice where he calls it the idea muscle. So it's like 10 ideas every day. Uh, so mm. that's where I, I took that I, that idea from.
0: So 10 ideas just based on anything or what's the framing to do yeah.
1: that? So 10 ideas could be like 10 ideas for things that I want to do with my son this weekend or mm-hmm. 10 ideas for things that I want to write a blog post about or 10 oh, ideas for LinkedIn I posts.
0: like that. I like yeah. that. Just to kind of, yeah, that's about like keeping your muscle... I've heard of something at IDEO where they do this practice where it's a a design class at Stanford and they do things like they hold up a paperclip, say a hundred things you can do with this paperclip. And like, you know, they brainstorm with the students, like what are a hundred things you could do with this object or, and it is, it's about like exercising the muscle of creativity and curiosity and innovation and all of those things.
1: So curious about how does, or I guess how are rather algorithms impacting that development and refinement of these muscles in ourselves like this character for example
0: well i mean i think the algorithms are designed to kind of on your weaknesses and not your character strength so that's why it takes an awareness of what what strengths are getting stronger by being online i mean a lot of young people they're able to have a platform and voice their opinion and that strengthens their sense of doing that, which is really good. But there's, I think people, you know, when you're on social media, like sometimes I really have, speaking of curating your brain, like I'm very careful who I follow. Like I only follow people that I feel like they're posting things that inspire me or make me feel challenge me or push me or like really. And I I went through this whole year where I, on Facebook, I unfollowed like so I'm still friends with them, but I only follow people that I think are posting valuable information because anyone you follow is shaping your brain, shaping your thoughts. So again, going back to the year of the curator of your brain, you have to be a good curator.
1: Yeah. That's an interesting concept that didn't really occur to me until far too late in life. Like I'm turning 38 this year and it wasn't until like three years ago that I realized that, wait. I can actually choose what I consume. Yeah. Like I don't yeah. have to listen to the same playlist of a hundred songs. Like I could yeah. put new things in.
0: Um, yeah. And you have that. And what an exciting role to be like the curator. I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to fall into a bubble, right? So there's certain social media like Twitter, for example, where I kind of feel like I see everything and I do go to news, especially in our country. We had such a tumultuous four years and it was very scary with the president we had. But I was definitely going to the website that supported him. What's happening? What, like, it's not about being in a bubble, but it's, again, time management. Like, Don't spend all of your time in a stressful ball of hell with pandemic news and election news, whatever. Like, know what's happening in the world. Don't let it rule your whole life. Look at the things that you have control to change and don't. Look at the things in your home that you should appreciate that you might not be, if you're online all the time, looking at other things you know, that sweet 10 month old child putting his forehead next to yours, wanting to look into your eyes like nothing is more important than that at that moment. So I think it's really thinking about every decision you make is your attention is your most valuable resource. And there's a lot of businesses that want your attention. And how can you be a protector of your prote- attention?
1: I think I really, really appreciate that. So we'll to wind it down here. I've got two more kind of formal questions and we'll do a real quick random round so okay. you are a pioneer and innovator in the tech space you created the Webby Awards which I am completely copying and I'm doing <laughs> yeah so I'm doing the friend of friend of mine and I are doing the data community content creators award
0: oh excellent
1: uh, okay. so I pretty much you know kind of ripped off your idea for the Webby Thank you for <laughs> that.
0: But, it's fine we did it from the Grammys, so it's yeah. like everybody's kind of building off other people
1: So can you speak to your experience being a woman in tech? Like what were some of the struggles or challenges that you faced and how can we make sure that this current generation of women in tech don't go through those same struggles?
0: Well, I feel really fortunate that I had two parents that just raised me to believe I could do anything I wanted to do. So I never really, I don't feel that way in the film industry either. I think I love being one of the only women because I'm like, oh, I have a totally different perspective than you. And I thought that was my great advantage. And I always thought I have a superpower being a woman. So I know that so many women don't feel that way. And so I want to value and acknowledge that. But I do feel like it was always an advantage. But I think that the more women that are funding projects, the more women that are leading, and the more women that are creating environments so women can be mothers and in the workforce the better. But I I feel very hopeful. I feel like just watching my daughter's generation and they're just like, (laughs) they feel very confident to me about that. But I, you know, I think this whole Me Too movement and it's really, I mean, I think that would be the one thing. Several times I was, you know put in really uncomfortable situations that were, was propositioned by a boss or someone I shouldn't have been. But it's funny, I didn't, I look at it now, and I was so young. And I think there's so much more awareness now that I and more avenues to say something. So I really do feel like we're making progress in that area. But it still happens all the time. But I think the more women that speak out, the more it'll be acceptable to do that. Because um, the couple times it happened to me, I didn't say anything. Because I didn't want it to ruin. I was like, I it didn't dismantle me, and I just kept going. I was like, Well, I'm going to leave that job and move on. But I know a lot of people where it it messes with their psyche for so long.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for for sharing your experience. And I know that a lot of women are going to be encouraged and inspired by your journey. And you know, the I guess the the trail that you've blazed over the course mm-hmm. of your career has been awesome. So. Last final question. We'll do a quick random round here because I know you got to get to that guitar lesson.
0: Oh. <laughs> I know. But, it's like it's such a my favorite activity on Wednesdays, yes. <laughs>
1: yeah, I've got a guitar sitting right there in the corner oh of my, my office God. that I just never, I get love a that. To, never get a chance to play it, though I should, uh, I should pick uh, it up. Well, you know
0: what you time. should do? Well, I'll tell you, you should take lessons purely because, actually, I said guitar because that's what my girls play. I play ukulele. Uh, but I'm telling you that an hour every week, I put, I know I get that time and it's like this gift because I've paid for that time. I've reserved it and I play with her and it inspires me to practice more. And I think that that is a real gift with the internet too, is we just do it all online. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) Okay. Good.
1: Yeah. So it's 100 years in the future. What, Mm. What do you want to be remembered for? That's a great
0: question. I think always experimenting with the latest technology and never forgetting the importance of the original technology of presence and eye contact and turning it all off. And whatever, you know, as we move into the future, it's going to constantly changing what the technology is, but always valuing this day where I'm completely present without any interference.
1: I love that. Love that. So let's go ahead and jump into the random round. What is your favorite song to play on the ukulele?
0: Oh, gosh. I've been playing a lot For What It's Worth, which is kind of a political song, and it's gotten me through this last four years of the pandemic. But I've been also playing a Nina Simone song that I love. Yeah, I have a lot. Depends on the mood.
1: All right. When do you think the first video to hit one trillion views on YouTube will happen? And what will that video be about?
0: Oh, gosh. I think it's probably gonna be music because that still seems like the universal language, which I appreciate that. And what's the highest number of videos hit currently, do we know?
1: Yeah, it's over eight billion and it is Baby Shark, which displaced Despacito in November of
0: twenty twenty. Wow. Yeah. So in like a year we'll hit a trillion. That's crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I believe everybody's sitting home watching something. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Uh, So
1: Do you think that we have to achieve something in order to be worth something?
0: No, no. I mean, you can be an incredible mother or father and, you know, no. I think everyone has worth. I I was definitely brought up in a family that was achievement oriented. Mm -hmm. uh, There was a lot of pressure for that. But no, especially as I get older, you just understand that everything's interconnected. Everyone has an important role to play.
1: What are you currently reading?
0: Mm, That's a great question. I'm reading two books right now. One is called Dakota Winter, which is great by Tom Barbash. And it takes place in New York in like 1979 at this apartment building called the Dakota. I'm really enjoying it. I just finished one of my best friend's books called We Run the Tides by Venda Levita. That's fantastic. Takes place in San Francisco in the 80s. And then... I'm just tonight. I'm gonna start um, reading this book by Sherry Turkle called "The Empathy Diaries," and she and I are interviewing each other about each other's books in a couple weeks. So,
1: oh, I'll definitely gonna be keeping an eye out for that. Yeah, yeah. Need more She's fiction great. in my life, so I'll definitely yeah. check out check out those books. So now I'm gonna open up a random question generator.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: what's something you learned in the last week?
0: Oh my gosh. I love that. Okay. So I, okay. We are building a new website and we really wanted to incorporate a lot more video into the website. And so we really nailed learning how to do that. I know that sounds simple, but we're film, I'm a filmmaker. I run a film studio and I wanted our website to be much more of a moving movement experience.
1: I dig it. If you go to my website, it's like a little 12 year old did it. It's it's (laughs) horrible.
0: Well, you know, I have to tell you going into Wix, they have so many great templates now and it's very easy to create something cool.
1: Yeah, definitely. Play around with that. Who was your favorite teacher and why?
0: I had a, a favorite teacher at UC Berkeley. Her name, she's still alive, Marilyn Fabe. And she was my film theory teacher. And she had such an infectious excitement about how film changes society and culture and how new technologies change the way we told stories and how the, ch- the way we changed the way we told stories changed culture. And he inspired me to be a filmmaker, really.
1: That's awesome. What dumb accomplishment are you most proud of?
0: Hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'd call any accomplishment dumb. What do you constitute as a dumb accomplishment?
1: Maybe. Oh.
0: Like- oh, I know. I know. I know. I can take a cherry, the um what do you call it from it? Stem of a stem. cherry, and I can turn it into a knot in my tongue in my mouth in like thirty seconds. Nice. Nice. <laughs> That's right. a dumb achievement.
1: The last question here. What is your favorite city?
0: Mm. New York City.
1: Yeah. Nice.
0: Yeah. Nice. I'm a Manhattan. That's my other city. Yeah.
1: Oh man. crazy especially since you know you're in the bay area Uh,
0: i love san francisco but i love new york new york is pretty awesome
1: yeah most of my sister went to berkeley um when she graduated a long time ago but you used to always go to berkeley and then up to you know san francisco and from sacramento it was like an hour hour and a half or so Um, cool but yeah that's definitely one of my favorite cities so tiffany how can people connect with you and where can they find you online
0: yeah, if they go to tiffanyshlain.com dot com and that's s h l a i n dot com, all my films, books, speaking, all that kind of stuff, and then I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram quite a lot lately, Twitter, Facebook, all those socials.
1: Right on. Well, I will yeah. definitely link to all those in the show notes. You guys, check this book out. Well, you guys cannot see it because it's audio only, but <laughs> get this book. It is 24 uh, 6. Yeah, 24 <laughs> 6 The Power of Unplugging One Day a Week. I highly recommend it. Um, like I was you. saying before, it just encompasses everything that I really enjoy studying and learning about all in one book um so definitely check that out
0: thank you what a great I really enjoyed this conversation and between the journaling the playing music I'm sure we would hang if we lived in the same city
1: <laughs> definitely I'll let you know when I'm back home in California oh, that
0: would be great okay great talking yeah. to you
1: take care Tiffany thank you very much okay bye bye